Let's go ahead and uh, open in prayer, and we will open the word. And Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your kindness, and Lord, just your grace, your love for us, and all that you do for us. That you loved us while we were sinners. That you cared for us. That you gave us the opportunity to be saved when you didn't have to. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in, in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in, in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let a man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Here we go with Paul talking about something very practical. Last week we talked about uh, the verse that said, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. And now Paul's going to tell us what to do. So it says, Brethren, if a man... And this is not an if and it's very unlikely to happen, but if and they will. <laughs> if a man, and they will be, overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. A fault here is a, a lapse of judgment, uh, deviating from the truth or way of life. And we all know that we're going to be found in a fault at some time in our walk with God. And that's why I say this, this if was not a if and it, if and it's probably not going to happen. This is a if and it will happen. It could also have been case, it could be in case of you finding a brother who's in fault, which is more, more of what we're going to have. But this idea of fault, we've talked about that. Wouldn't it be so great if God just said, you're saved, you're perfect, and he makes us perfect in our walk? You know, that would make life well, I don't know if it would make life any easier or not, but because people wouldn't like, you know, the rest of the world probably wouldn't like us. They didn't like Jesus. But it would be easier for us, wouldn't it? I'm going to be able to obey God from this point forward. And, you know, there's churches out there that teach that. <laughs> there's a denomination that says when you're saved, you are sanctified and made perfect, and when you, when you fall, you lose your salvation and have to get re-saved. And that's craziness to me, but that's what they believe. Yeah. It tells us very clearly, we are going to fall. And the sad thing about Christians is we tend to get very vicious toward those who fall sometimes. And the church as a whole, they, they really attack people. They, they end up falling and, and they, they make them feel bad. They make them feel like you've got to get this great deal of repentance in your life before you can come back to God. And God is telling us, no. When they fall, he says, you that are spiritual, and, and we think, you know, well, what is spiritual? <laughs> you know, what, is, what does it mean to be spiritual? In this case, this is not the normal word for spiritual. It means to be in the spirit. That means we're saved. <laughs> He's saying, basically, those you, of you that are saved, because we've talked about the moment you're saved, you're put immersed into the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit starts changing you into a spiritual being. So right from the very beginning, the minute you're put into the spirit, you are starting to become a spiritual being. Now, it may take time to become fully spiritual. 
But we are becoming spiritual the moment we are saved. And then God says, those of you who are spiritual, restore them. Bring them back. Wouldn't it be great if every time you had a fault in your life, people come up with their arm around you and say, you're loved, come on back, you're forgiven. Jesus does it. Jesus does that for us. It's sad to me when I meet people and they go, well, I know God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself or I can't forgive somebody else. And the question is, why not? Why not? If my flesh has been crucified and I'm not desiring vainglory and I'm not desiring to, to put people down and to criticize them and to, to try to make them lower than, than what I think I am, then why won't I forgive others, including myself? The non-forgiveness does not hurt the person you're not forgiving. It hurts your fellowship with God. 1 John 1.9 says, if you are confess your sin, if you can, I'm going to have to look it up. I totally forgot a verse that I know real well. This is terrible. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Didn't even have to look it up. I knew I knew it. <laughs> I guess I'm getting too old. I'm forgetting all my verses. Uh, what is that telling us? Is that telling us that God doesn't forgive us if we don't confess our sins? No, it tells us that we're not going to have fellowship with him if we don't confess our sins. Satan loves to have sin hidden. Because if it's hidden, he can use it against you. He'll whisper in your ear, hey, if they really knew what you did and who you are, they wouldn't love you. You can't tell God. You can't tell. God wouldn't even love you if you told him what, he, what you really did, as if he doesn't know already. But confession is good because it puts it out in the open. Satan can't use it against you. He can't use it saying it's a dark spot in your life. We need to know why do we restore people? Because we're just as likely as they are to fall. It doesn't matter who we are. We're as likely or even more likely to fall than they are. And the moment we don't think that we're going to be able to fall, we're, putting, we're, we're, we're in a world of hurt because we probably will. And I can tell you right now, it's true in my life, wherever I don't think that I can fall, I don't put a guard on that area. Because I think I'm strong enough not to, not to need a guard. You know, and I've shared with you, you know, I, I walked away from the church for two years at one point in my life. If anybody, my, when I was a teenager, if anybody had said, you're going to leave the church, I would have told them, you're absolutely nuts. There's no way I'll ever not come to church. Didn't put a guard on that area. I thought I was strong. I thought I didn't need a guard on that area. I didn't need the spirit to watch that area. Next thing I know, it's been two years. <laughs> now, not a great sinful lifestyle. I just didn't get up Sunday mornings to go to church. What is it in your life that you have that you, don't, that you think you're so strong of that you don't put a guard on in your life? Beware. Beware. I've heard people say, well, there's no way I'll ever take a drink in my lifetime. And then you see them a few years later and just the circumstances just were right and somehow they got into it. You know, you know, we raise up and say, well, I'll never do such and such. My parents did and I didn't like it. Then we look back on our life and find ourselves doing a lot of the things our parents did. Yeah. We need to be careful. 
we need to be careful because it says restore them. And then it goes on. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. You know, we want to judge people so often. It's the flesh that wants to judge them. You know, well, if you were just stronger, you wouldn't have fallen. Well, you deserve to wallow around in that, in that muck for a while until you, until you realize how bad you are. Sometimes we do it to ourselves. I deserve to be doing, to be wallowing around in this. You know, I messed up. I, I didn't do what's right. I deserve this. And you know what? Absolutely, we deserve it. But God's grace says, no, we don't deserve it. God's grace, Jesus went to the cross to pay for what we deserve. We have to understand this. His grace is so wonderful. He paid all the punishment that we deserve. The stripes, the scourging, the, the thirst that he went through on the cross, before, even before he became sin, was the punishment we deserve for sin. He took it. We need to get rid of the idea that somebody deserves to pay for their sin or that we deserve to pay for what, our sin that we've committed because it's already been paid for. We no longer, in, in fact, we no longer deserve to pay for it because it's been paid for. Jesus paid for it. We need to get that into our mind. It's been paid for. It, I don't deserve. When I fail, it's not my need to pay for it because it's already paid for. And when I'm dealing with others, if I know that Jesus has already paid for it, I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to encourage them. Why? Because it's paid for. They don't need to be punished. They don't need me to punish them anyway. I need to be able to say, rise back up. Get over it. I hear so many people say, well, I'm just too ashamed to come back to God or, or see other people because they're, they're going to judge me. Well, two parts about that is, you know, God doesn't judge you. And the second part, and I know this is hard for most people, but who cares what other people think about you if God cares about you? Now, I know that sounds harsh for a lot of people that grew up uh, heavily caring about what other people think about, but really, does it matter? There's going to be people in God's body who are going to love you anyway. Spend your time with them. If you're going to be around the negative people, stay away from those and hang around the people that are going to be positive towards you. Because it's critical that we get lifted back up. Satan wants us to be condemned. He wants us to wallow around in the in the, the slime pit and say, this is what I deserve, and because I'm so dirty, I can't come to God. God is that father, the, the father of the prodigal, who when he saw his son afar off, ran to him and said, this is my son. He's come back. The father was looking for his son. He was waiting for his son to come back. And he didn't say to his son, son, once you've had a bath and you've got some good clothes on and and uh, you've uh, proven to me that you're, that you're repentant, you can, you can be my son again. That's not how he responded to him. And that's not how we as a body are supposed to respond to somebody who falls. It's welcome back, thank you, God has, God has brought you back and he's going to use you. And it's important that we understand that. God's love for us is so vast and important. He uses us to bring them, bring them back to them. He uses us to encourage them. You know, and I've seen it, I've seen it but so many times. People look at it and say, well, you know, I, I'm glad that they're back in church, but I, I'm just wondering, when are they going to fall again? Well, what a way to look at it. 
you know, God isn't looking at us that way. Well, you're back. How long is it going to be until you fall? He's saying, welcome back. Get started. Come work. Get back and walk with me. We need to follow that same suit. Is it possible that they're going to fall again? Absolutely. What happens when they fall? Proverbs tells us that a righteous man falls seven times and gets up. The unrighteous stay down. As long as a person keeps getting back up, they need to be accepted back and saying, God loves you. God cares for you. And that's a sign of righteousness. It's a sign that they have a problem in their flesh, yes, but it's also a sign of righteousness that they love God enough to keep getting back up. And we need to encourage that. That's what the scriptures tell us. We're to restore them. Place them back where they were at before they fell and not hold it against them. Yeah. And I've, been, I've seen churches that do this. Well, you slipped and fell, so therefore you have to prove to us that you're going to walk in the Spirit for nine months, six months, a year before we're going to say that you can do anything in the church. That's not God's standard. That is not God's standard. Now, if somebody has a job and they keep falling down and keep falling down, I'm not going to give them their job back probably, because, you know, but I'm not going to say it was because of their sin. It's just because they become undependable. <laughs> they become undependable. But God is saying, restore. Bring them back into fellowship. They've repented. God's forgiven them. <coughs> God's put the sin under the blood. We're, who are we to try to make them pay more than God says that they're supposed to pay? And this is why it saddens me when people say, I know God's forgiven me. I've asked him for forgiveness, but I can't forgive myself. And my question, if I was really going to be mean to them, I'd say, well, who made you God? You know, who made you God that you can't forgive yourself? The God of the universe can forgive you, but you can't. You've got a new idol in your life. It's called your sin that you can't forgive that God, God forgave. You know, we need to help people understand that. We need to restore them, say, welcome back. You know, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. We're so happy to see you again. Because that's the way God looks at him. He's looking at him in that way. It goes on to say, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love one another as you love yourself. We're to bear each other's burdens. When people are down and they're weighted down, we're not to go up there and start criticizing them and throw a little more weight on them. We're to help take that weight off. Let me take this weight off. There's a skit that's very famous, and many of you may have seen it. Somebody will walk down the aisle, loaded down with suitcases and backpacks and, and everything, and bowed over. It represents their sin. And they come to the cross. And there's two ways that the story goes. Number one, they, all, the, all the baggage just stays at the cross. And then it goes one of two ways, depending on which way they're trying to make the point. The person leaves and leaves all the baggage at the cross like they're supposed to. Or the other example is that they pick up half the bags and walk away with it, which is what we tend to do. When we go to God and say, God, take away my, my problems, we go, okay, God, you can have, I'm going to give you half of it, and I'm taking the rest. But God wants all of it. Well, we as Christians need to be able to help one another and say, let me help you take this baggage off. You're forgiven. God has forgiven you. We treat them as forgiven. You know, I hate it when I deal with somebody and somebody goes, well, you know they're just going to fall again. I'm going, that may or may not happen, but it's none of my business. I'm still going to love them because they've come back to Christ. They've come back to the church. Whether they fall or not is not for me to determine. If I treat them badly, they're pretty much guaranteed to fall again. 
And the more people who treat them badly, the more guarantee it is that they're going to be uh, falling back. The more people who reach out and love them and accept them, the better off they're going to be and the more chance they're going to have of getting strength. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Take my yoke. Jesus took all of our burden and he wants to give us a light burden. A light burden. And that's because he's in charge. He's in charge. And we are to help one another ease the burden. When somebody is having a hard time, we, we pray for them. If we're able to help them, we help them. Whatever that help might be. Sometimes it's just to be a shoulder for them to cry on. Somebody just to be there in silence because things are so hard. It might be that we have some extra finances and we are able to help them. Or some skills that can help them. Recently, I had the guy put my, put my starter in. He bought the starter and put a starter in, for him in my car, and it was a wonderful blessing. There was nothing that I couldn't do myself as far as put the starter in. I just couldn't afford to buy the starter in the first place. But I don't like working on cars, so it was a blessing to have him work on the car. <laughs> you know, but the idea is, what do we do? How do we help one another? What skill set do we have? If you see somebody's been missing for a while, do you give them a call? Do you send them a card? Hey, we've missed you. you know, let them know that somebody at least misses them in the church. Because I can tell you, when I walked away from the church, that was what led me away from the church, is I was gone for about three weeks. Nobody, nobody called. Nobody wrote a letter. Nobody said anything. And I drifted away. I had a pity party. I'm responsible for it myself, but I mean, it wasn't that anybody helped either. And we want to be able to say, who is this person? Who are we missing? Who do we care for? Oh, they've fallen and said, let me pray for them. Let me help get them encouragement. Let me be able to build them up. Because it is, all of us will fall. We may not fall in exactly the same place they did, but we will fall. And we'll want somebody else to come along behind us and say, here, come on back up. Let me lift you back up, put you back on the, on the path. We don't want people coming along and saying, well, you get what you deserve. Just stay down there and you know, get up on your own. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And you'll be okay as long as you can pull yourself up. You know, that's the American gospel, unfortunately. That's the American gospel. You know, the, you know, the, the old adage that most people think in the Bible, you know, God helps those who help themselves. You know, that is a terrible thought. It's an American thought. It's an American thought. The Bible teaches exactly the opposite. God helps those who repent and give them and have themselves crucified and come to him. And then he says, oh, thank you, come along. And he gives us his strength. His strength to walk in, his strength to get things done. Are you under pressure? Are you under attack? Crucify the flesh and let God deal with it. I tell you, I've been there. I've been there a lot lately. And I keep having to go to God and go, God, I need your help. I can't, I can't, I don't, I can't make it through this. It's crushing me. And God gives me strength. I've asked a couple of my close friends to pray for me specifically and just knowing that they are has helped. Because it's hard. It's hard when everything seems to be going against us. We're being crushed. And we need the help of people around us to say, you're loved. Sometimes we have to call out and say, hey, I just need prayer. 
I just need prayer because I am being so much under attack. I'm being crushed. And they come along and they pray for you and they just lift that, some of that burden off. And Jesus can come in and say, here's my yoke, just give the rest of the burden to me. I can carry it. We all have problems, we all have areas. And I'm gonna tell you right now, whatever your area of burden right now is, you think that nobody else knows what it is, nobody else has anything like it. Each one of us with our burden feels that way. My burden is so bad, nobody else can understand it, nobody else has anything like it. Because whatever you're under is your burden. And it's guaranteed by God just to push you to him or fall. And that is the purpose of these tests. We either turn to God and say, God, I need your help. Take this burden away. Or we get crushed by the burden and we wallow around until somebody helps pick us up again. But we all think ours is worse than everybody else's. It doesn't matter. I can tell you that right off because I, I felt that way often myself. God, you know, nobody else is feeling this way. And you know what? You're right. Nobody is feeling the way I feel. But everybody else is in the same boat with the same pressure, crushing them. We need to help one another. We need to be able to take and lift this up because we're all going to fall. We're all going to be there. Verse 3 says, For if a man thinks himself something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I'm going to read this to you a little, little different translation uh, from a... It says, If any person be of the opinion that he is something special being a nobody he deceives himself and understands nothing of himself have you ever been to the place where you think you're something special God's using you in some special way or or I've learned something really great the flesh likes to puff, puff up puff itself up I am so special I would never fall in, in this sin I am something special. I know the Word of God really well. Nobody knows it this well. I'm something special. I can pray, and, I, and nobody can pray like I can pray. You know, I can love. You, you put in whatever you want in there. We've all been someplace where we've thought for at least a period of time that we're something special. And God says, no, you're not. Without God, we're nobodies. We're people that deserve punishment. We're people that deserve all the bad things that can happen to us. Now, the, the old question that people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, I think that's a really dumb question because if we're going to ask the biblical question, it would be why does anything good happen to all of us bad people? Because we're all sinners. Nothing good is deserved by us. So any time that we have anything good happen to us, it's an act of grace. It's God's grace that we have anything good happening to us. And you know what? For the lost world, it's God's grace that they have anything good for happen to them because they really don't deserve it. We could almost make a case, well, God, I've at least accepted you. I deserve something. And God says, no, you don't deserve anything except my grace. And he lets his good happen to the lost world as well so that he can draw them, draw them to him because he is good. And I love the saying that goes on in a lot of churches, God is good, uh, God is great, and he's great all the time. And God is good, and he's good all the time. And we need to understand that. God is always good. Even when we have trouble with it. And believe me, I've been there, I've been there many times saying, God, how can you be good 
and let this be happening to me. All of us have been there at some point in our life, maybe often in our life. God, how can you be good and all of this is happening to me? And God is saying, I am good. I know what's going to, I know what it's doing to you. And we think about this. God created man knowing that man was going to sin. Knowing that billions of his creation would have to be sent to hell, and yet he created them anyway. Can you imagine the pain that this is causing God? To give them what they want, give them what they desire in their heart, and yet it's going to cause pain. How many of us as parents have let our kids do something that was going to cause our kids pain because we knew they needed to learn something? Didn't make it any easier for us, did it? It's like, I know they're making a bad decision. I know this is going to hurt them, but they need to learn. Maybe we even tried to get them not to do it. But aside from chaining them up to a, to a post in the backyard, there's not a whole lot you can do to keep them from not making bad decisions. And of course, if we did that, we'd be arrested for child abuse, probably. <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, we can't stop them from making bad decisions. God's not stopping us from making bad decisions. He loves us so much. He created man knowing that billions, trillions were going to reject him. Why? I, I can't even fathom why he would do that. He created man knowing that Jesus would have to go to the cross and die. And that on the cross, he would have to turn his back on his son that he'd, that he'd been in fellowship with for all of eternity. And yet he created us because he wanted to show that love. It's what we need. The testing of our relationship with him is part of what the troubles are for. We're going to fail some. We're going to pass some. We're going to be crushed by some, and we're going to have to turn to him and say, God, I need your help. And he's going to say, fine, I'll take that burden, and I'll give you a light burden. Because he loves us that much. He loves us so much that he wants us to be able to, to see that burden. And he doesn't want us to think that we're special. And if you get to the place where you think you're special, look out. God says that pride comes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. If you want to get prideful, God's going to show you that you don't deserve it. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time. We see some of these great evangelists, the televangelists and stuff, that think they're pretty big stuff. And then we watch that God shows them that they're not all that, all that strong. And he, and he publicly humiliates them because he, they publicly exalted themselves. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that people see that you're, you're nothing. I am everything. When we present ourselves to God and be, as God's representative before people, we need to make sure it's not us. I've told you all the time, you know, when I was in the workforce, everybody always goes, you're smiling all the time. I never thought I smiled that much. Obviously, I did. You know, why did I smile? Because God was in control of my life. I wasn't feeling the pressure that they were feeling. I try to smile even if I'm feeling the pressure because God is still in control. And this is what we need to make sure that we understand always. God is always in control. 
He knows everything that's happening to us. And, I, and I've said this prayer, I've shared with you, I've said the prayer, God, I don't understand how this is for my good. I know you've promised it's for my good, but it doesn't seem like it could be. Can you please open my eyes? <laughs> because I knew he was in control. And I knew that he had promised good. Does it make it easier to know that it's going to be good when you're going through it? Not necessarily. It gives you a strength to hold on to. It gives you that rope to hold on to and saying, God, I don't understand any of this, but I'm going to hold on to this rope for all that it's worth because it's my lifeline. I'm being crushed. I'm being hurt. I'm, I'm feeling alone. And Satan loves to make us feel alone. Because if he can separate us from the body and the body is rejecting us, he can make us feel alone. And when we're alone, we make an easy target. And the thing is, we need to get away from that aloneness. We, number one, need to know we're with God. We also be, need to be tied in with the body of Christ so that we're not alone. We, don't, we can't be attacked. In the wild, uh, you know, an animal getting away from its herd is dead, is dead and food for, for the, for the uh, predators. The predator doesn't go in the middle of the herd and try to get the strongest animal in the middle of the herd. They get the stragglers, the ones that are alone. Another picture that Proverbs uses is a fire. If you take an ember out of the fire, it could be white hot when you take it out, and it's going to cool off very fast. We're the same way. Without the other members of the body, we will fall away from God. It's a guarantee. I've seen it every single time. It may take, it may take a while, but I've seen it every time that somebody pulls away from a church, pulls away from Christians, eventually they drop away from God for some period of time until they finally come to their senses and come back like the prodigal son. But they pull away from the church and, and you'll hear them say, well, I just got, somebody made me mad and I just have to go worship God by myself. You know, I'm still reading my Bible. I'm still praying to God and that's, that's good. You see him six months later. Well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Are you still worshiping God? Well, once in a while. See him another year, a year later and it's, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, nothing's good. Nothing's going on. You know, you still worshiping God? No, nothing to do with God. Why? Because they left the fellowship of the body. They left those who would help take their burden from them, help keep them strong. And I've said this over and over. Coming to church isn't the answer for everything. But when you're in the church, you're going to be with others that care for you. You're going to be with the body of Christ. You're going to be built up, lifted up, loved on. Our body, when it gets hurt, immediately sends blood to, the, to that area. It cauterizes, covers the cut. Then you usually turn it blue as the, as the battle between the, the germs and the blood goes on. But the body helps itself. We need to be in this position where we are looking at each other and saying, how can I help others? Matter of fact, it's been said that if you are depressed and you're feeling bad about yourself, go find somebody to help. If you're helping somebody else, you don't have time to be depressed about your own problems. And oftentimes, it puts your problems in perspective. Man, I'm glad I'm not going through what they're going through. Thank you, God. I'm going to keep helping them. Man, God, I'm glad you didn't do this to me. You know, we go out and we help somebody else. And God says, there you go. Minister love. Lift their burden. And in the process, our burden is lifted off of us. And God tells us, that's why he says at the very beginning of this section, lift the burdens off of one another. Bear them with each other. 
because that's where the power comes from. We help one another and we get that burden lifted off. And that doesn't mean we tell everybody bad, everything bad about the people dealing with, no. We deal with our own responsibility in the area. You know, I tell people, I walked away from the, I walked away from the church. I had good, you know, I at the time thought I had good reasons and it just drifted off. But I'm the one that did it. It's not their fault. I used, it, I used them as an excuse at the time, but, it, but that was all it was, was an excuse. And we all like to make excuses. You know, Adam and Eve did. Adam, God, it's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. You know, this, this excuse game and, and, name, and blaming has been going on since the very beginning. And of course, Eve's going, hey, it's not my fault. It's that serpent over there. You know, he did it. Nothing's changed. We're still doing the same thing. I fell into sin. It's, this is the reasons, God. Here are all the excuses. Well, the excuse is real simple. My sinful flesh that loves, loves to do the wrong things decided it was going to do wrong, and I let it. I didn't put it on the cross and have it crucified. I just followed my sinful flesh. Real simple. It's me. Not Satan, not, not somebody else. Me. I did the, the, I made the mistake. And when I can start easily saying, I made the mistake and I confess my sin, God says, come on back. Come back into fellowship. I'm not going to make you wait 90 days before and reprove yourself. I'm not going to make you show me that you're, a, that you're repentant. I'm going to say, come on back, you've confessed. God is wanting to do that for us. He loves us so much that he wants to do us. We're nothing. And it's important that we really understand that we are nothing. It says, let every man prove his own work. For whatsoever... Let me get back. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. We look at what we're doing for God, and we're not to look at ourselves and say, well, God, I'm better than all these other people, so look how good I am. God says to prove our own work. Why are we doing the work that we're doing? Are we doing it so that we can stand up front of people and be looked at and people say, wow, they're such a good person. Look at all the people they help. Recently had a conversation with a couple people and this one individual's name came up and this person said, well, they don't do anything. And another person says, you don't know all of what they're doing because they don't want them to be known. Are we doing our work for God or are we doing it to be seen by everybody and saying, hey, look at me, look at what, I, look at what I'm doing. God says, prove your work. Who's it for? Prove it. Is it genuine? Is it real? Is it really God working through us, or am I trying to do it for show? No. Hey, look at me. I'm, 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 uh, I'm all that there is. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I'm, you know, I'm the purest gold out there. Look at me. Are we doing our work for that, or are we doing it to say, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. When you're serving God, it's amazing the things you'll do without feeling any pressure. If you're just filling something because you know it has to be done, how tired do you get of it real quick? I, I used to do that when I was first in churches. You know, I, I determined that anytime something was needed, I had to go try to fill it. I sure got tired fast. I had to learn a real, real simple word that people have a hard time learning. No. <laughs> no, this isn't for me. Now, don't get to a point where you say no so much that you're doing nothing. 
That's, a, that's learning no too well. But there's a simple statement. Just because there's a need is not necessarily a call for the person. Okay. I truly believe that for every person in God's body and in his church, there is a call that they have to fulfill. He doesn't want us just sitting on our butts listening to somebody teach all the time. There is something he wants us to do. At least one thing that every single person is to do. The hard part is finding out what that something is. Okay? And one of the past, some of the pastors I've heard, and I like what they've said, is just keep trying things. <laughs> you know, try different things in the church. See what, see what is for you. Just you know, make a six-month commitment to something. I'm going to try this for six months and then find out whether it's for you or not, whether you're called to do it. If you're called to do it, there's not going to be a lot of pressure. And I've shared this. When I left College Park, I had a lot of jobs I was doing, but I had a lot of other little things that I did. And I never realized how much I did until I was trying to find people to do them as I was leaving. I never felt any pressure. I was just serving God at the church and realizing all of a sudden I'm doing a lot. And I never, and people used to come to me, Ralph, you do so much. And I'm thinking, I'm not doing, I'm not doing hardly anything. I'm just, I'm just serving God. When you're following God's call, that's where you're going to be. Does that mean the call will never be hard? No, you're going to have hard times. You're going to have times when Satan really tests you and says, are you sure what you're doing is right? But it shouldn't be a burden. If you're doing something that's a complete burden to you, might want to pray to God and say, God, is this what I'm supposed to do? And I can't tell you what it is that people need to be doing because you never know what it is. You never know what it is until you go out and do it. There's, there's people who are true prayer warriors, and I talk about this a lot. Most people in churches don't know who the true prayer warriors are because they're not bragging about all their prayers that are answered. But when they pray, God listens. Well, God listens to all of us when we pray, but there are certain people that when they pray, God moves. And I've seen them. And they're fun to know. This person, when they pray, God is going to move. And I've shared you with my son in, in Baltimore. It wouldn't be at least every other week. Somebody would be coming up to me and say, your son prayed for me last week, and this happened or that happened. And would I have known that he was praying, praying for them if they hadn't told us? No, because he wasn't telling us. He wasn't telling us about all those prayers. And he definitely wasn't telling us about all the answered prayers. He didn't want to be known. He didn't want it all to be right. This is where we're at. What do you do for God? What has he called you to do? We all have a calling in our life. And you know what it is. Harder to do in smaller churches where there's not a lot of things to do, but by the same token, there's lots that needs to be done. There's all kinds of things that people can do. It might be working at a mission downtown. It could be just helping somewhere else. It's between you and God. I'm not going to judge people for what they're doing or not doing or what they appear not to do because I don't know. I don't know. And I can never know that even if the things I see is what God's asking them to do. Because some people just are good at doing things and they're just doing what they're good at. But God's got something he wants you to do. And the last part of this verse, and it almost sounds contradictory when we read it, it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. First it tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens. And at the end, 
we're actually to bear our own burden. And this is where I brought out. We are responsible for our own decisions. We can't blame other people. And this, is, and this particular word for burden is to literally bear the burden. It's not the weight of the burden. The first one was to lift the burden off, which is the weight. And this one is we are to actually bear a burden. Now, what is that burden we're to bear, really? It is the yoke of Jesus. That light burden that he puts on us because he takes everything. And his burden is light because all he's asking us is to follow him. Follow him. A light burden that we're to bear. It not a heavy weight, not a crushing weight. We're to go out and we're to follow him. We're to use that light weight and follow him. And that light weight gives us joy. It gives us an, an, a bounce in our step. It gives us freedom. So we want to look at this. We want to be able to help each other. We want to be able to be in Christ. We want to be perfect in him. And because we're perfect in him, we rejoice in him with that light burden. But we're also not to blame others for our, our mistakes. Because that's the flesh's way to do it. You know, it's their fault, not mine. We all put ourselves into, into, into situations and we let situations continue. And we might be able to say, well, well God, it's actually my, my, my family's, you know, they're putting so much pressure on me that I just can't help myself. And God's saying, there's other ways to do it. Other ways to do it. Do we truly understand the power of prayer? Most of us don't. Most of us don't understand the power of prayer. And we want to so much start to understand the power of prayer. God moves when his people pray. Every great revival starts with prayer. Every revival in our heart will start with prayer. Every revival in our town will start with prayer. We need to learn to pray. We need to learn to turn our TVs off, our radios off, and spend time before God in prayer with our requests. And I'm not talking about general, God bless this town and bless the, bless the, the country. Very specific prayers. How, how do you know that something's been blessed? I don't really know how to know that something's been blessed. God wants some specific prayers. I pray for our town that we're going to see a, a big revival with people getting saved and this, and, and this town's uh, reputation being changed because people are getting saved. I'm not necessarily praying that they come to this church. I want to just see them saved. I don't care where they go to church and get, and get taught. I would hope that a number of them are going to come here, but that's not my problem. That's God's problem. Our problem is just to get them to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's going to take prayer. That's going to take us opening our mouth to the people around us and asking them, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because most people in this town tell you they're a Christian. And you follow it up and you find out most of them are not Christian because they don't know what it means. They have this vague idea that if I'm good enough, I'll go to heaven. If I'm just good enough, when God puts my good up there on the big scale in, in, in the in the courtroom of heaven and he puts my bad on and I'm hoping that the good outweighs the bad and he'll take me. That is sad because it's such a lie but it makes so much logic to our ears. It makes so much logic to our ears that you know somehow I could be good enough to please God. And the unfortunate thing is because that's usually what we're looking for people to do, be good enough that we like them rather than too bad. It fits our flesh. 
And God's saying, no, I paid for it. When they stand before God, the only question he's going to ask people is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? And he will separate the goats and the sheep by that question. Jesus paid for the sin. The unforgivable sin is a real simple one. Reject Jesus. That's unforgivable. And God says that they will be cast out. The only one sin that he's going to care about. What did you do with Jesus? We need to make sure people understand that. What have they done with Jesus? And that's where we're at. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look. Lord, we ask two things. Number one, you help us just force totally understand and see your grace. And if anybody in this room has not accepted you as your, their Savior, Lord, we ask that they do that, that they just admit that they're a sinner and ask you to come and forgive them and come into their heart. Lord, and secondly, that you help us lift the burdens off of one another and that we will be able to share the gospel with those around us so that they can have the burdens lifted off of them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.